Hey everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. A day after Thanksgiving as we record, uh, maybe a day or two later once we get around to editing it. Um, being in Europe, of course, I am not stuffed, but my co-hosts may be a little bit more lethargic than usual this morning as they try to digest their massive feast. Understatement of the year, by the way. Yes, understatement of the year. <laughs> But there has been some tech news, even though it's been a slow week. And I have to say, I'm always very thankful on Thanksgiving for my nice empty inbox, my nice empty schedule. I can actually get stuff done for once. It's always very much appreciated. And in most years, I'm also packing my bags to head to Vegas for reInvent. Uh, but of course, that's not happening this year, whether it's happening remotely. So I don't need to pack and prepare quite so much, although it's still going to be on Vegas time zones. That's a little bit inconvenient, but yeah, swings and roundabouts. But let's talk about some other tech news before all of the reInvent avalanche hits. So one thing that caught my attention was the Instana deal. So IBM has uh, picked up Instana, and the plan is that they're going to fold it into their existing AI-powered offerings. Uh, Instana, for those of you who don't know, is part of this kind of new wave of monitoring, uh, which couples traditional metrics collection with AI and machine learning for analysis and noise reduction, trend spotting, and so on and so forth. And so that kind of fits with uh, what IBM's been doing with Watson, uh, or at least what they, they've been talking about a lot with Watson. One of the interesting things about Watson is that actual concrete deals that go beyond the, the headline are quite hard to find on the ground. No one really takes Watson seriously, but yeah, that's that's for another day. So, <laughs> and I think that's a, an understatement as well. I mean, two for two. Yeah, there you go. Why don't we start with Zach, who's been quiet today. Uh, have you been following up on this? Do you have any opinions on what this means, either for IBM's chances or for the wider monitoring market? Yeah, I, I mean, we're seeing a lot of this, right? A lot of uh, acquisitions of, of AI ops or operation, operation companies. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with what we've been going through the last six, seven months. Uh, you know, these digital transformation initiatives and, you know, visibility into networks, just trying to adjust to this uh, to this new norm. And I think, you know, I think this is not going to end. I think we'll see more of this, you know, as we go forward. But, uh, yeah, I think... I think it makes sense for, for IBM. I mean, especially now, it seems like there's a renewed, sh um, well, not shift, but a renewed focus on the edge. And and now they're going to be able to provide some some visibility that's been needed. So, I mean, it fills, it fills a hole for them. And um, again, we're going to see more of this. Mike, what do you think? You know, ops is changing, right? And I think your traditional kind of monitoring plays are, are kind of done because it's not, I mean, look, years ago, we would care about, hey, we want to know if, um, you know, something is up or down, but I think now it's, it's shifted a lot to uh, performance-based, right? We want to know if everything's running as optimal as it can, you know, give us some recommendations on uh, what we can make better. And I think if you look at the leaders in the space, I mean, they're all focused on the application side, right? There's a lot of Dynatrace customers out there, a lot of New Relic customers, you know, even AppDynamics. And, and I think those are like clearly the leaders, maybe Splunk coming up there, but you know, it's it's really it's really shifted. So I think what you're seeing is the the rest or the leftovers are all kind of um, merging and and coming together. I, I think the more interesting thing here is that IBM is putting in Stan in their bucket, which I, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't have seen coming. But it, it's quite interesting that even IBM sees it and is like, all right, we got to get into this somehow. But it's really been a shift to the application focus for most. 
companies. And, and that's why some of these players, I think, are seeing limited growth or, or having issues to evolve their product. I mean, that's, that's at least the way I see it. Yeah, I think that makes sense because IBM, as well as uh, most of the other traditional monitoring vendors, they're very much focused on the metrics, on the up and down type of notifications. And that makes a lot of sense when you're looking at a monolithic application. If the server's up, the application's up, server's down, application's down, nice and easy binary. These days with microservices, it's a lot more complicated than that, both to figure out is the thing even up? What is the chain of components that's required for your application to be considered to be up versus down? How do you measure performance? And the only way to do that is to switch it, to turn it inside out. You can't look at it from the data center point of view because there probably isn't a data center anymore. You have to look at it from the end user's point of view, what they're trying to do, what they're trying to achieve. It really becomes an end user experience type of uh, metric that people look at. And it's all about that that end user experience. Absolutely right, Dominic. Uh, and, and you know, I, I think the other thing happening is most products, most even middleware all have you know, metrics or some kind of reporting or monitoring built into them. So we are also seeing a shift to aggregator type solutions, you know, in terms of like, if you look at Splunk and what they're doing, right? I I think that's also kind of pivoting this, uh, this industry somewhat. Well, I mean, we've had how many years of monitoring tools? So I think we're just seeing a big shift away from that. These things have been reactive, um, kind of what we're all talking about here, right? Red light, green light, these things are just uh, very monolithic. And so everybody's looking forward to, you know, how do we go ahead and what's the best way to, I don't even, I don't even like the word monitoring, but what's the best way to observe what's going on in this environment? Uh, a move away from these old monitoring tools that just aren't viable. They don't, they don't provide what they need anymore from a visibility perspective. So yeah, we'll, we'll probably see a lot more of this going into next year. Yeah, the traditional players, you really need somebody who understands end-to-end looking at it. And I think that's also challenging to to a workforce these days um, for someone to understand like all your apps, how, how data is flowing, where it's moving to, what's talking to what. And, and I think that's also becoming challenging where some of these tools actually solve uh, those problems uh, for us. That, that's, that's at least the way I see it. Yeah. Well, that's what computers are supposed to do, right? So that doesn't always work out that figure way. It, figure it out for us. That's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I agree with Zach. The, the growth of monitoring deals, uh, I'll put a link in, but you need to be a 451 Research subscriber. I think I'm allowed to share the graph that goes with it, though. Over the last 10 years, we went from 25 deals in the general monitoring space, however you want to define that, to 57 deals in the last two complete years and 47 already year to date. Uh, so a definitely a distinct pattern of, uh, of growth, of increasing attention being paid to that. And I think that's also a symptom of what we were talking about with the automation side of things, as as automation stabilizes and becomes more mature as its own thing, you need to figure out at what point do you trigger the automation. And that's all about these metrics, this visibility, this observability. Isn't this a blind spot for for cloud organizations? I mean, you know, if you're- Often, yes. And most everybody is. Yeah, and most everybody is multi-cloud. And of course, you know, Gartner doesn't use that word multi-cloud. I forget, again, the word they use. But um isn't this an, an example where, for example, you know, um, AWS can't doesn't have insight into Azure environment. They don't have insight into your GCP environment. They also provide limited visibility into their own environment. 
into your environment on-prem. So I think there's this void here that all of a sudden has to be filled. Mike, I'd like your perspective uh, as an end user, but it would seem to me that they can't solve all your problems when it comes to this, right? They can't, they can't. And that's why you need the third party. To be honest, this is like, this is ripe like for the, the little guy wanting to pick up, which I always refer to as GCP. Like if GCP looks at this and says, you know what, if we give customers like, like, like this is about who's going to control um, the fence or the control mechanisms of where users go. And if they give insights into other clouds on their cloud and make people get and give people that choice, then they at least become a piece of the critical infrastructure for everybody. Right. Because I, I think today there's nobody who says like, oh, I have to be in AWS. I have to be in Azure. I have to be in GCP. Everybody says I have to be in cloud. But no one says I have to have a piece of this. I think I think if if they had an offering that had like, hey, I want, you know, we will give you, you know, insights into your apps, then everybody says, well, I, I need at least a piece of GCP. And I think this is where the cloud providers are are, are missing a bit of the boat in, in terms of what they can do. Um yeah, so it, it is a thing. It's definitely a thing, right? Cloud applications are the way of the future. And so getting visibility on those is going to be key. Once again, it's not a monolithic app that simply shifts to the cloud. It's a monolithic app that gets fractured into lots of tiny components that could be running anywhere. How do you get visibility end-to-end -end in that? How do you track the ever-changing complexity? You're not going to do it with a CMDB, that's for sure. So uh, Instana and the other AI ops approaches, I think, are key. Whether IBM can actually make a go of it is a whole other question. But Or it dies by the wayside. That's always the worry, right? With acquisitions so, of CoolTech, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah, best yeah. of luck to Instana. At least uh, it's certainly like a five-year-old company, not even. Yeah, 2015 founding. Uh, so well done to them on, uh, on that. That's uh, always a success. Um. But moving on and sticking with cloud applications, there were some rumors flying around earlier in the week uh, about Slack potentially being bought up by Salesforce. And even the rumor caused the, the stock to jump. I'm a little bit conflicted about this one. People seem to be saying, oh, this means Slack's amazing success during lockdown is being recognized by a giant of the sector like Salesforce. And sure, there's some of that. But I think the big name that nobody's mentioning is Zoom. Uh, in that conversation. I think Zoom stole an enormous amount of Slack's growth when they came bundled with uh, Office 365. Lots of companies just instantly turned on Zoom. It was some of the fastest adoption I've ever seen. Slack uh, just doesn't seem to have done much with their, their moment because they had a moment. Everyone was on Slack like everyone was on Zoom. It doesn't seem to have gone anywhere. They don't seem to have done anything with it, either of them. I I actually think Microsoft was more detrimental to Slack than than Zoom because if let's look at the progression of Teams as as you know and Teams is a you know a pretty good knockoff of of Slack more than Zoom is and as you've seen the progress of Teams and what Microsoft has done to Teams and the integration in Teams and how we're wrapped around all their products I think there's a lot of companies who were like hey we're we're Office subscribers. And now all of a sudden, you know, they're also Slack subscribers and then Teams comes along, it starts to build up. Because nobody just uses Slack. People are using Slack, but they're cobbling it together with Zoom and with Google Docs and, and, and. And then Microsoft rep comes by and says, hey, did you know you already had Teams built into your subscription and it does all of this in one box? You don't have to worry about it. That's a very compelling proposition. It, exactly. And then renewals come along and I, I think it just falls apart. Um, 
Yeah, Zach, your your opinion before we get into the like, hey, how does this fit into the Salesforce uh, overall strategy there? Well, let's remember Microsoft uh, was considering what an $8 billion bid back in 2016 for Slack. So, you know, they turned around and said, okay, well, instead of doing that, we'll just develop in-house. And they did a rather good job of that uh, and it's bundled in with everything else. I think everything else we mentioned does have a gap. Uh, Zoom kind of has a gap. Slack has a gap. So how are we going to compete with Microsoft? I, you know, um, and I say that because I, uh, you know, I like Teams. I mean, everything has its faults, but uh, I think Microsoft's done a great job of tying this together. So, yeah, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what happens. I think Zoom, with all the the money they're sitting on, or at least the large market cap that they have, I mean, they have to they have to act really soon as well. I'm curious though, Dominic. You said you know you feel like Zoom is uh, rapid adoption, but how do you feel like how do you feel that? I don't know that I agree that Zoom necessarily competes with Slack, to be quite honest. I probably misspoke there. What I meant was, you know, earlier in this year, February, March, everyone's suddenly working from home. Zoom and Slack were the two defaults that everyone turned to. Those of us who've been remote for a while were like, hey, welcome aboard. There was kind of an expectation that there would be something of a transformation in the way we work, and it hasn't really happened. I'm working in the same way that I worked before, apart from ever taking aeroplanes at all. It's just that everyone else is now also working the same way that I've been working for quite some time. I feel they kind of missed a boat in the way that Microsoft did not. Microsoft executed very well. And you can sneer and say, oh, it's all components they already had. There was Skype for Business or Link or whatever it was called that week, plus SharePoint, plus Office, obviously. And they just cobbled it together. And yes, they did. But they did it really well. <laughs> and that's a skill. Integration is a skill. And Microsoft have uh, produced them. Um, as long as you're inside of the company, because I have a long-standing gripe with trying to join uh, anything to do with Teams if you're not an employee of the company that operates the team. But as long as you're inside that wall, it's a very, very nice experience. It's got everything you need in one place. You don't have to worry, oh, I need to install an app. I'm not an admin. I have to find an ad, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it just seems like a really missed opportunity for both of those two and an acquisition by Salesforce for no matter how many billions uh, would be a bit of a failure of potential, I think. How about Amazon? Have they missed a boat here? I mean, they yeah, are Amazon Chime. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, have yeah. they missed a boat? They, I, I don't ever see them any, making any acquisitions. Everybody talks about Amazon and the cloud leader. And then every week, it seems like we're talking about Microsoft making another you know, great move here. I know this isn't about Microsoft right now, but I'm just thinking, you know, Amazon, I, I don't know, how are they capturing the market? Just, you know, uh, coming out with 500 products, trying to hope something sticks. It, it really has me wondering over the last several months, do they really have a strategic, are they being really strategic here? Or are they just throwing a bunch of stuff on the wall to see what sticks? I, I'm just kind of confused. What are they doing? This this was a little bit of a rumor, if I'm not mistaken, right? Like three, four months ago, wasn't it? Like Amazon might acquire somebody like Slack. Maybe I'm Maybe I'm not remembering. You know, you know, Amazon has one real thing hanging over them that they need to be super careful about, and it's antitrust, right? So, you know, if I take if I think of like Teams, Slack, and um, and Zoom, I, I, I make like the relation to like Facebook, Snap, and uh, Twitter, you know. And, and here's Amazon. I mean, they're so huge. And and Chime. I, I mean, I've used Chime once. If somebody sends me a meeting invite with Chime, I'm like, nah, let, let's do it on my Teams. There, there's no way I'm joining Chimes. It's it's terrible, right? So I. I think they they have always this worry hanging over them. So I think it's a space that they need to think twice about going into. And let's face it, if if Amazon comes in, they come in to win. I mean, 
Uh, honestly, if, if, if Amazon would come in, everybody else would get worried because of the vast amounts of capital that they, they can just pump into anything they, they do. Right. And yeah, so I, I, I think Amazon has some, some issues themselves that they have to work out before any, before they make a move into any of these spaces, a, a serious move, right? Because right now they're just dabbling their toe. I mean, it's terrible, right? But yeah, and that's also not really Amazon's style and acquisition. They're more the homegrown, the biggest not invented here syndrome sufferers around. And by the way, antitrust is funny because, you know, Microsoft was nowhere to be found. Yeah, here we are talking about Microsoft every week and everything else they're doing. So it's kind of interesting. I, I think that title turn on Microsoft. I think people start looking to them, especially as their market cap continues to grow. They got so much. I mean, there, there's no way it'll... Um, It'll avoid them. I mean, it's coming. It's coming. So, so let's go back to this uh, deal because I'd, I'd like your thoughts. Um, Salesforce and and Slack. I mean, do we do we really think does this kill off a, a great uh, chat application, or does this? Uh, how does this impact everybody? I actually think it's a win win for both. I mean, I, I think it helps the the Salesforce image, and I think it helps. Slack continue to grow. I, I think it gives some companies some some thoughts around. You know, think of their Salesforce and you know integration. I, I I see it as really kind of the best outcome for Slack, to be honest, and good for Salesforce as well. I don't know what you guys think. So I put in the show notes a, a short post from Daring Fireball. I was <laughs> very sarcastic about the Salesforce applications. I don't know how other people feel about Salesforce's applications, but I think it's a damning indictment of their design chops that still today, how many years is it since they launched the Lightning interface? It's still an option. You still have Lightning and Classic. It's over five years for sure. Uh, I think it may be as many as seven years. I'd have to look that up. It's not an example of an amazing user interface, amazing design skills. Do have a, a very good platform and they do have lots of integrations and touch points and things like that. So from that perspective, it could be a win or they could decide to keep Slack at arm's length, just a brand that they own, a bit like Microsoft does with GitHub. It could go either way. I'd be very curious to see how this one plays out. I'm in that camp as well. Could go either way. Well, I'm, sur- I'm, I'm surprised of um, how you guys are, are, are looking at it. But may- maybe I'm too far removed um, not being on the sales marketing side, right? So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think the the toughest thing for Salesforce is always like salespeople culture. That's That's what I always think is like stopping their growth and, and stopping, I mean, but I think that's going to change post COVID. I think salespeople, account managers, right. It's all going to change a, a little. Again, I'm, I'm not seeing it. So, so that was one of the things that I thought would happen as salespeople by and large generalizing wildly, right? So there are lots of different breeds of salesperson, but by and large salespeople live in their email inbox and they're very resistant to using any other applications. Uh, salespeople are the lowest users of Slack, for instance. If I need to get hold of sales reliably, I turn to an email alias, not to a Slack group. And that's not the case for any other group in the company. Salesforce has had the chat function built in forever. The idea was that you could follow uh, an account or an opportunity or even a, a person, and you could chat back and forth about what was going on, what activities were underway, and exchange files right there in the Salesforce app. Uh, and that's been there for maybe a decade, and has completely failed to take off because of this. It's my fear that Slack will fall into that morass. I'm not saying Slack will fail. Uh, Slack will continue to have its place 
it's become kind of the default chat app for any organization that needs a free chats platform. In the past, you might you know look at some IRC or something like that. Uh, and Slack is just that much more friendly. But on the other hand, we may see it fall by the wayside and everyone moves to Discord. So that's where the kids seem to be at these days and go multimedia. Uh, I'll be sad. I'm a text-oriented person, text-oriented thinker. I don't do so well with uh, these voice chat things, but maybe that's the way of the future and I need to get with it. It's it's funny you mentioned Discord because I got a lot of people in uh, enterprise jobs who use Discord to be offline of their corporate uh, messaging tools. And and I think that's the, the more, I don't know if that's a trust thing for enterprises or if that's, um, you know, people getting a little more savvy and not wanting everything to be so public. Uh, you know, Discord is probably uh, one of the most underrated tools out there, to be honest. Now, there you go. You heard it here first. We're going to stand up there, roll for enterprise Discord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> okay. The other piece of news sticking with the cloud, there was a huge Amazon outage. Once again, US East One was down. You may have noticed because our podcast is hosted on Anchor, which was one of the services that was affected, but a lot of other names there. And in fact, one of the funniest tweets I saw was, uh, and I'll put this in the show notes, someone who posted, normally this week, I'd be going to Vegas and I'd answer a question like this. Did you like to gamble? Oh, yeah. I run my prod on single instances in US East One. So I hope the Amazon Ops team and SRE teams did manage to get some time off over the long weekend, but it's got to be a little bit stressful. Another outage, another quarter, another major outage. Is this supposed to, I thought, but I, I thought this was supposed to be easy. I thought you were supposed to go up there and get the reliability you need, not think twice about it and just run your business. As a matter of fact, this outage also what the yeah, doorbells and vacuums that were unpacked. <laughs> I saw forget, that. Hey, yeah. So forget forget just tech, you know the the IT shops, right? I mean, now let's start thinking about you know the house and the home and everything else. But I mean, again, another outage from Amazon. Go ahead, Mike. I think you have an excuse for them. Go ahead. It's not that, but I mean, let's look to where we came from, right? And and I think you know what what Dominic said is absolutely true. Like, okay, how have you built your application? What availability? What resiliency have you built in? You know, are you really on a single instance? And because then you've built it for the single failure. I mean, if you expect no failure in the cloud, you're a bit in la la land and dreaming on clouds. But let's face it, you're going to have failures even if your your equipment's on-prem, right? So whether it's in the cloud or on-prem, the only difference is now that you have like the strength of Amazon, who you hope has like the best people working to resolve it. We're in-house, you know, you got to have some pretty good people when you have like a major outage, right? Or maybe it's something you can fix quickly. I think the problem is that people expect this like 100% availability from the cloud, and maybe that's not what they're getting, right? So it's, you know, there's there's different aspects. The The outage has just moved, you know? If if we were talking about like a major internet outage on the East Coast of, of the US, it would probably be just as damaging because then you've, you've assumed that's always going to be up, right? I agree and I disagree. So I agree on that you User experience that absolutely is the most critical thing now. No longer should we measure it on five nines. I, I think it's all about the experience, right? I mean, I could have five nines, but I could not have the experience that I want, right? So I agree with that. But what I disagree on is you keep saying, oh, we had this on-prem. Well, this whole on-prem scenario, we just talked about IBM and, and their acquisition, right? Everything is changing on-prem from the perspective of these AI ops, these uh, tools are becoming better and the capabilities. I mean, they have had to work twice as hard to make sure they can you know, come up to speed with where the cloud is. And I, maybe they passed them in this scenario. I mean, all I'm saying is I, I maybe the visibility on-prem is, is, is better. Maybe that abstraction in the cloud 
And you said it earlier, Dominic, you don't have the, that kind of visibility in the cloud, right? But hey, don't worry about that, that layer one and layer two, that lower level. We're, we're going to abstract all that from you. Well, guess what? We're having issues because of that. So maybe it isn't higher up the stack. Maybe it's down in the bottom of the stack where you don't have the visibility and you have to rely on them. So I, I think it's I think it's I think it's both ways. We can't I'm not going to give them a free pass just because, oh, it's, you know, and it sounds easy to say, Mike, you know, as well as I do. It's very difficult to to rewrite these apps or get these these apps working the way they should. So it's all about the application architecture that doesn't change in the cloud. There are Amazon services that are single region. And so you're kind of stuck with it. If you want to use that service, uh, you're going to be in one region. If you're very unlucky and the entire region goes down because you put it in US East One like a crazy person, uh, then you're going to lose that Amazon service and you don't really have much recourse. But a bunch of Amazon services, you can choose multi-region. There are services out there that are multi-cloud and you can stand up a bit of it in Azure or in Google Cloud so that even if you lose your Amazon resources, your end-to-end service from the point of view of the end users, once again, it's going to be up. But you have to look also beyond your own architecture diagram. There was um, a tweet I put out, I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, Someone was saying, yeah, we're up. Our payment processor, unfortunately, is not up. If you're operating a web shop and your payment processor is down, well, from the point of view of the end user and of anyone trying to get anything done in the web shop, it might as well be down. So you have to think about this not just 360 degrees but you know 720 degrees whatever that would be it's every component of that you use you know every agreement you sign every software you take in you you need to think about how good they are especially when you start to talk about some of these startups who have grown obviously when they when you start you're going to be very cost conscious you might be cutting some corners but at some point you hope that everybody comes back and builds the resiliency needed in their in their product and of course some don't wait for these outages and then fix it from there, right? Yeah, the real test of your architecture is when, and I'm going to show my age a minute, is when you get slash dotted. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, and look back at Zoom. I mean, I think these scenarios are recoverable. You know, we spoke episodes ago about Zoom security. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Zoom has become like a term like Google is. People are underestimating a bit the power of Zoom now because they have become the Google of meetings. Hey, I'm going to have a Zoom. Even here, like... Yeah, nobody wants to have a Google Hangout. Like the government is having Zoom meetings. Like who would have thought that would have been possible this day and age? And I'm in shock. You know, and I think the biggest thing is the loss for for WebEx here. I mean, nobody talks about WebEx anymore. In, In fact, I think it's kind of what you said, Dominic, with Teams. No one wants to use Teams if you're not the Teams native user. And I think it's the same for, for WebEx. It's it's shocking how things have changed. I'll tell you, I don't get the WebEx hate. I had to use WebEx the other day with a firm that still has WebEx as their default. It's fine. It's nice. My goodness. I still get users uh, who complain about WebEx and, you know, we don't use it. And I think it's okay for uh, tech savvy people. But as soon as you get like the non-tech savvy users using it, it, it just falls completely apart. I, I think that's where Zoom is eating everybody's lunch. So. Yeah, I've said before, Zoom's secret power is they focused entirely on that one metric how quickly can we get people in the meeting and they've delivered you can't blame them and that's a nice bridge actually to final segment and normally we do recommendations but this week it seemed appropriate to talk about things that we're thankful for and despite me bad-mouthing them (laughs) i am quite thankful for slack and zoom and all of the rest of the apps and services that have made it easy for me to work remotely uh this year and for me every year uh to be honest i 
can't remember the last time I had an office-based job. They make it work. They stood up to what must have been some interesting operational challenges when <laughs> their usage went through the roof very suddenly in the spring. Well done and uh, keep up the good work. I hope the acquisitions work out for the ones who get acquired and the other strategies work out for the ones who don't. Yeah, and I think along the same lines, I, what I'm thankful for, it's like you have that virtual space of all the tools you use and then the home office space. I think luckily enough, I'm well set up here and it's been an easy transition. So that's what I'm thankful for. Oh, big plus one to that one. When I'm talking to some of my friends and colleagues who don't have that luxury and they were trying to work from the kitchen table and their flatmate is trying to have a call. Gets tough. It gets tough. Yeah. But Dominic, I think um, also, you know, the curve monitor plays into that into that so have you have you pulled the trigger yet i mean i've not yeah where are we with this where are we dominic give us an update i was hoping for the black friday deals but nobody seems to be doing a deal on uh, the the curve monitors so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it i've decided i measured everything i'm ready i'm just waiting to find the right one so you're having black friday sales after american thanksgiving even in europe i, I always laughed in canada when we would have black friday deals after american thanksgiving because our thanksgiving was in october and it was just so bizarre world, but I guess now it's become like global phenomenon. Oh, it's this universal thing, definitely. All right, all right. So soon we'll have Singles Day deal. So uh, follow China. Okay. Well, I am most thankful for this podcast and our our chat channel. Uh, believe it or not, I look forward to this. I, I, you know, some days I'm I'm staying busy. It's the truth. I'm busy. I, I look up. I, I get a little laugh some days. Um, you know, Mike's talking about you know a spaghetti or, or I'm sorry, Mike pasta. Excuse me, and, and it's just you know it's a break from the norm, right? Or these curve monitor discussions. And, and in all seriousness, it, it helps me out. I've I've been last month has been very um, busy at work and, and and stressful at times, but it's always good to have this outlet and just really just uh, for this friendship that I don't know would have come about if it wasn't COVID, for. Absolutely. Uh, this pandemic, to be quite honest, right? So there's always something good to pull out of these things. And and I mean that sincerely. I think that for me was is, is a big thing to get us all together. And I'm sure Mike and Dominic, you'll have something to say because the two of you, while I knew both of you before this, the two of you hadn't met before this. No, exactly. And it's been really good. I, I would agree with that as well as uh, a good couple of choices by both of you. But I look forward to my Fridays when we get to record, we get to hang out. And so thanks also to the listeners who indulge us. But to be honest, we'd probably be doing this even on our own. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been great. It's been great. And and a bit of um, a departure in, in COVID times. But I, I think you're absolutely right, Zach. If it wasn't for COVID, this wouldn't come by. And, and now I got a, a great place to stay in when I when I visit Italy. So thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. You have an invite? Hold on, Dominic. You have a standard I don't have an invite. Ago. You know that. Uh, My office is uh, the spare bedroom. So you'll get to see the curved monitor. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> hey, hold on. What size did you go with, by the way? I, I forgot to ask. I think it has to be the 34. I can't go for the full 49 monster. It just oh, wouldn't geez. fit. Yeah. 34 is a big step up already. Where there's a will, there's a way. I, I think you should go 49 and let, let's make the space. Yeah. I think I literally wouldn't have room on the desk for my laptop is the problem. Yeah, I guess you need that to power it out. All right, all right, all right. I'll, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks to both of you once again. It's uh, always really fun to catch up. And thanks to the listeners. Follow the show on Roll4 Enterprise with the number four or on the LinkedIn page. All of the show notes will be on Anchor if they haven't been taken down by US East One. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Um.